I constantly remind myself like whatever I'm doing because we're part of um, administering this benefit, like, is there any way I can make this easier for the process, you know, on the ground? How can this make the delivery of these services easier for people? Welcome to the Prophetic Justice Podcast, where we talk with people who love God and work across a variety of social justice professions. I'm Tatiana Burgum, and I'm on a mission to learn from my fellow peers in the field about how God speaks to them and the impact it has on their work. Let's take a look at social justice work through a supernatural lens. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited to have this guest with us. Luis Zaffarini is a good friend, a really good friend of mine. Personally, we've known each other for quite some time. And then he also um, resides in Texas and works currently in the government realm of health and human services. And so, Luis, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to have you. And this is such an honor. Thank you for having me. Yes. So you are born, raised Texan, but like on the border essentially of Texas originally. Yes. Yeah. Laredo, Texas specifically. (laughs) Yes. Okay. And then where you and I started, our roads crossed was like, it's honestly, has it been close to 20 years? No. 20. Oh, sorry. 15. 15 years. Yeah, almost. Jeez, I can't yes. even believe that. I can't believe that. But that is really where we became like really good friends is when I interned in DC and you were in that same organization. And then from there, we just became fast friends. And it has been honestly like you have been like one of the, the, the I'm not, I'm not going to get emotional. You have been like one <laughs> of the, you and Tony have been just some of the best people in my life. And so, yeah, I'm glad that we can do something like this type of conversation. You were in D.C. for quite some time, right? How long were you guys there for? I started going to college in 1999. And so I basically spent about 15 years there between going to school and then working at D.C. And Tony moved up to D.C. in 2005 to be with me before we moved back to Texas in 2016. Got it. All right. And then Tony, who we are mentioning, is your husband and also a friend of ours, of Jake and I, and we just love you guys so much. So that's who we're talking about when we talk about Tony is your your ride or die. (laughs) Yes, my husband, who we've been together as of this month, 22 years. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. That's wild to think of. Oh, my gosh. That's like. I know it. My 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 current manager told me something like, oh, like that makes you sound so old. I'm like, I know it does. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think most people have been like going out with the same person since they were about 20. So that's true. I love that. Oh, man. And I say going out, but like we technically are, we technically, we are legally married. Like, and I like, <laughs> it's official. I just that, yeah, it's like it, but it is nice that it kind of feels like I was like, no, we're still going out. <laughs> it's like. It's like the first, the first love feeling for yes. twenty some years. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is gonna turn into a marriage podcast. A bit. 
a marriage episode. So you and Tony were in DC for a while and then, oh man, yeah. How long has it been now? So you moved, you kind of ended your life, your time in DC and then shifted in over back into Texas. Yeah. And we've been here for about six or seven years now. Okay. And the majority of that time, I have been working for for um, the the state Medicaid agency in different capacities. Yeah. Okay. So this is where my understanding of what you do ends. Aside from knowing that you work within the Medicare Medicaid space, I think I'm yeah. saying that right. Yeah. But it's interesting because our as we've talked about what you do, there is really honestly like a social justice piece to it and I think you also we both worked in the pro-life realm for together for quite some time so we both have that like desire to help our communities to make a difference in the world and so I kind of want to start there and what how does the social justice thing even like what does that look like in Medicaid in your field Medicaid specifically provides health care services drugs and, you know, pharmacy services, vaccines, and long-term services and support to people that are financially or medically needy. And the focus based on like the population that's eligible is primarily women, children, people with disabilities, and the elderly. So, you know, mostly vulnerable populations and definitely people that live somewhere near the federal poverty limit. Mm, okay. Okay. And that, so when you took this position, did you understand that piece of it? I am not going to lie. I think like if you had talked to me 10 years ago and asked me anything about healthcare, I would have just told you it bored me to, to nearly death. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh-huh. um, and I don't know if it's just because like my exposure to health care policy was very limited and so like, you know, I had a very narrow focus and I kind of understood from like a political, a political activities space, like what that meant. When I, when I first started working for the state, I think I was just excited to do something that was helping vulnerable populations. And I may not have understood specifically how I was doing it, but over the years, it's it just it's very gratifying to learn more to be better at my job and to and then to realize that these things have an effect they often remind us you know you might be well now at home or in a cubicle but um you know you this is bureaucracy but it affects people's lives and some of those people are tony's family like some like there are yes relatives some of them close that are um, receiving these benefits so it is also personal yeah that's oh that's really an interesting way to put it so like as you have been working in this realm i think even working federally as i have in the past it feel there feels like such like like 100 degrees away from the person that the policies and the procedures are actually helping or not helping. And so, like you said, it it has you've seen it play out in a personal way. But how do you get past that that feeling of like, or maybe you don't even have that feeling. But I guess like I think a lot of federal workers sometimes come to a, a fork in the road where they're like, am I actually doing good? Like, am I actually helping 
the people that I say I'm helping. And so have you had, have you had those moments? Have you had to kind of come to that fork in a road yet? And if not, then that's totally fine. I'm just curious. It It is definitely a struggle. And I know that you can, you can attest to this. There are times where the work itself feels a little bit like drudgery where it's kind of like, feels like you're doing your taxes. Like you're just filling in the blanks. You're, you're filling out a form or you're creating a form and, um, and it doesn't feel like rubber hits the road type of thing. Um, and I would like to say that I'm also like, you know, volunteering in all these capacities. Like, I don't really, I don't really have what you like extracurriculars as, you know, but I feel like I've kind of made peace with the idea that what, what we're doing is helpful because I kind of try to give it like my own flavor, so to speak, where I constantly remind myself like whatever I'm doing, because we're part of um, administering this benefit, like, is there any way I can make this easier for the process, you know, on the ground? How can this make the delivery of these services easier for people? Because even folks that have traditional insurance through their employer have tremendous difficulty navigating the healthcare system. And even, and like, you know, anybody who is dependent on healthcare services is already by definition, you know, you know, ill. So, or, you know, I, I can't imagine being on your, on your own and then trying to do all that. So I feel like I, I try to, when I work with other people think like, how can we simplify what we're Mm. requiring? How can this make it so that, you know, we're, you know, giving the maximum benefit to some people or to let them know that they're getting that, you know, what, what they, what they deserve or what they, or what's legally required. Right. Right. So you're right. As I think about it too, I don't know a whole lot about healthcare, like policy or what that looks like. What has been the biggest surprise for you as you've worked, as you've started this work? Like, was there something that you're like, holy cow, I did not, I did not see this like being a thing. I, I feel like I, I did used to be a little judgmental of government employees like 10, 15 years ago. Absolutely. You know, and I, I thought like, oh, government is bloated, government is this and that. And like, and it can be for sure. But when I realized how much work has to be done to provide these services, then you realize how, you know, how how much manpower is behind that. There's it's it's so complex. I used to work for the pharmacy benefit, which is complex. The team is smaller than, you know, the rest of Medicaid, because it's very specific. But when you get into the realm of everything else, like, you know, there's, you know, there's dental, there's orthotic, there's long term care, and then everything in between and like, so much administration, and then making sure that you're complying with things. I think I was just overwhelmed with the sheer size of it, because it is uh, like, I think like the health and human services commission in Texas is, um, a huge employer 
and it is the largest group of people that I've ever had to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge system for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Okay, so I am curious, like while you were, while you've been doing this work over the past like five, six, seven years, what's been going on with you like personally or spiritually, I guess is kind of what I'm honing in on because you have a really, when I think of just like all the people I've known and watching them kind of walk out some of their, their faith, like you stick out because you have had quite a journey with your, with your own faith. You're really like, you're so open and wanting to like learn about like your spirituality and I just you've played that out in a really like open way and so if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that I would love if you could sure so I I don't know what it is about 2016 that kind of was a pivotal moment for me but I know it started off for sure with um learning that my my older sister was pregnant for the first time she's it would have been like the first grandchild from you know our generation <clears throat> and we already had two like a, like tony's sister has two children had two children at that point and my parents were getting older and they all are concentrated in laredo or san antonio and we were living in DC and that was like all well and good when we were young and, you know, wasting money on an expensive apartment, um, tiny apartment. And, but every time we would go home, it was, you know, a $600 investment to buy tickets. And then it takes a half a day to get there. And we realized we needed to be closer um, in order to just be a part more a part of their lives and that's so you know we made the decision you know January of 2016 we were already kind of committed to you know we were going to spend the rest of the year in DC figuring out what to do and then move across the country and like you know situate ourselves in a new place and it was also the like i don't i don't know if i was just also trying to distract myself from what a big change that would be but it was also the year where i decided after years of considering whether or not to become jewish to just take that that step and i so you know started off the inquiry with the only rabbi in dc that i knew by calling him up and then scheduling an appointment to talk with him and I think in my my naivete, I thought this would be not a quick process, but it un like, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to That's complete so the process in DC because it really takes a year. It takes more than a year, sometimes multiple years, depending on who you're working with. So I started off learning in DC up until we moved and then completed the learning process in Austin. So it, it was almost two years. Wow. I remember you going through that. It was very intense. I think what, so I have so many questions. I'm like trying to figure out what I want to ask first, but like, what was it that drew you to the Jewish faith? Like, what was it that like, cause you were originally pr a practicing Catholic, I would say like, if, mm -hmm. and you took it very seriously, you were very involved. And so what, 
yeah what was the shift for you what was the like I need some this isn't you know this isn't working so to speak I it really was something that was in in my head and in my heart probably since I was a teenager and I just didn't I I I thought that if I want a relationship with God then and I was raised Catholic then basically like that's the language that I would use to have that relationship these are the practices this is the history and because I'm most familiar with that that's my shortest route maybe that was kind of my understanding it all it did not help that my best friend growing up converted when he was 19 to Judaism 19 or 20 but we were in college and I so I kind of put put it off thinking like oh now they're gonna think I'm just doing it because he did it oh got it (laughs) well that's funny (laughs) um but in reality, and I and he may agree, there there's a concept in Judaism that like you're not, you don't become Jewish. You have the soul of a Jew the entire time. And some of and because if you're not born into it, like the soul got lost somewhere else, and then you come back to it. And so maybe that's why we were such good friends growing up. Maybe we had that spark, um, yeah. saw that spark within us. Oh wow. Oh, that's pretty cool. So how has your life shifted since you now are, I don't know what the right term is even, like a pract- like practicing Ju- Judaism? Yeah, it's, I know I have gotten questions from people where they, they ask like, oh, you must, like, it must make you feel like a certain way. And it's, it's kind of funny because it is like, it is like retranslating your relationship with God, because it's not to say that in Judaism, I have not had emotional reactions to the relationship with God. The relationship is different, Mm -hmm. but in many ways in Christianity, there's an emphasis on warm, like, I don't mean it to sound demeaning, but like a warm fuzziness or, um, yeah, or like um like a almost like semi-romantic relationship. And you know, my Judaism, this experience has been kind of like more like not that God and I are on the same level, but that we there there's a collaborative experience here. Mm. Um I like that. I'm not necessarily like I don't constantly it's kind of like a relationship like yeah yeah honeymoon period like I don't feel I don't feel the honeymoonness like all the time it's it's more like I I know I need to remember that God exists and that we have a relationship how does that fit into my life typically that's through like a series of blessings definitely every morning and then before like I eat or drink you know as much as I can remember and all of these things are um small ways of thinking whatever it is that moves the universe and made it for you know giving a new day or yeah having made food and all those things remembering that we're not the cause of those things yeah yeah that's really beautiful, actually. I don't think I've ever heard you explain it in that way. 
And I think even from a friendship standpoint, you and I use humor to deflect quite often. And so I think watching you go through this, I've probably been more of an outside like person kind of joking with you along the way. But in all seriousness, it has been really fascinating kind of watching you from afar make this, well, up close in our friendship, but afar as well in this piece of it, because I haven't been obviously walking with you in it as closely but like seeing you go through it like I've seen a difference and so and a piece of that I would say is almost like there's a lot I can tell there's a lot more inner peace happening for you and I don't know I guess when you were Catholic like what was the difference and I don't know if you want to wade into that we don't have to because that's kind of a loaded question and and so but I am curious like do you feel more connected to God now or did you feel like the connection was there and it's just a different way of looking at it? I, yeah, I think, I think it, it is a, it feels like a different connection. I think it, what, if anything, I think that my connection to God when, when I was Christian was like, had fewer facets. That might be the way of looking at it. It kind of, you know, I clung to a certain like vision or a certain aspect of what God could be. And I may have had thoughts about it outside of that, but shifting to this mode of thought and to this practice kind of gives a different perspective in ways that I find really surprising. Like when I, when I look back on other practices or, you know, or, you know, the way, the way my you know catholic friends and family expressed their faith and i absolutely identified with that in the time and now it's like a world away and it's kind of kind of an odd thing like i feel like one of one of the reasons that i think i'm drawn to working you know in in healthcare policy or have or even the work in uh, the pro life movement was kind of driven by wanting to support people that seemed marginalized or put down in some way and it's like you know that like they're like i have i have i have these things like i'm i'm gay i'm technically you know my i come from hispanic lineage and now i'm jewish i but i also realize that i I could pass for straight maybe I don't know I could I could pass for white um and I could definitely pass for non-jewish and these are all things that are you know privileges that my my orthodox jewish siblings don't have that privilege and so they get beaten up a lot my you know hispanic and latin like siblings that are darker complected you know you can't avoid that and trans people or many other queer people, you know, don't don't pass necessarily. But um, especially I have had a lot, a bigger shift in my mind about marginalized people after being Jewish for many years, because it's very hard to explain to someone who might be, you know, you know, white, straight. Christian you it's so hard to conceive of of being like the other person 
it's hard to see like how this is, you know, every, I think I explained it once to someone as I don't think you realize that like the world kind of seems like it's meant to fit you mm-hmm. for what, I mean, if for no other reason, like look at Christmas and Easter, I love those. I love holidays and, and I participate in like the parties that like my families will have, um, I don't technically celebrate like the religious aspects of them, but like Christmas kind of all, and that's like, great. Like it's a thing that most people have in common. It's a great festivity and all that, but like um, the most important holidays in Judaism, like most people not even heard of them. I don't expect people to drop everything to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> a lot to ask, <laughs> but that definitely, you know, added something mentally to the idea of like people, people of fewer means, women, anybody with a disability, and the fact that the work that that I do in Medicaid helps provide more of an even playing field for them because if they don't have the means to access healthcare, it's like telling them they can't use, you know, public services or they can't use roads or they can't use it's um, it takes um, some people that have inherent disadvantages and would make them make their lives impossible. I love how you put that. So I, I guess, because you've had quite the road and I I am curious even, oh, I have so many questions. I'm like, which one should I ask right now? But I I guess even with within the pro-life world that we have worked in, the realm that we've worked in, do you see like space in that? And like, because I mean, it is a, I feel like the, well, it's maybe shifting, but the most predominantly pro-life religion has been that of the Catholic Catholic faith. Do you see a space where there is like a lot of people who are Jewish in that? Like, what does that look like even within the pro-life realm? I I think it would shock some Christians to realize that 70 70 plus percent of Jews um, identify as pro-choice. It it is um it it's kind of it's not the I don't actually know what the number is for Christians but most most people of Jewish descent not necessarily orthodox and not necessarily practicing or observant Jews you know are are liberal or liberally inclined and particularly pro choice and I feel like for myself I think earlier I said something like, you know, helping vulnerable people. And that's what led me to the pro-life cause. And I know, I, I know for a fact, some people will not understand, understand that perspective for me at the time. I think what really moved me was when I was probably in high school and read material about um, unborn or fetal pain, or the fact that people, women that have, that are lower income, might feel forced that they have to do this. And so my perspective was, you know, I I think at the time I more identified like with um, someone being gay and having been bullied with the idea that, you know, an unborn child is being somehow bullied or poor people are being bullied into doing 
this kind of thing. My perspective has changed. I wouldn't say that I would, you know, encourage abortion. I absolutely see times when, you know, it's not our business to be explaining to a woman that she can't do this. There are many circumstances and some of them very personal. And I don't like it's it's a it's a kind of thing that kind of, you know, shifts in my mind all the time. But more now, I feel like I'm seeing from a woman's perspective. I'm see- I mean, I'm not really seeing it from a woman's perspective because that's very presumptuous. But I'm trying <laughs> yeah, trying yeah. to imagine someone telling me exact, you know, in yeah. very specific terms what I could or could not do. And in my mind, and in my heart, that's like, that doesn't feel just. Yep. 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 Thank you so much for bringing that up. I think that's a, a space that a lot of us who I, I would say are younger. Are we younger? I don't know. But I think <laughs> <laughs> those of us who are in that in-between phase are struggling with right now. And like, I think a lot of younger like generations behind us are actually at that point. Like they're just like, they see it so differently and in a way that is really going to make great change, actual change to help women and mothers and families. I think I couldn't agree more. My my perspective has changed as well as I, you know, I would consider myself definitely pro-life, but I also am always willing to put myself in other people's shoes where before it was like maybe um the idea like you said that they're being like forced into it or like persuaded into it or something um but yeah I agree with you 100% I am curious as well like we often hear the term abortion is not healthcare. I guess since you are working in that realm you may or may not have any thoughts on it but if you do I would love if you could share I think when uh I think about the ways of helping the situations in society in which that difficult choice can be met by people that are there to help. I think the best thing that can be done is to kind of improve people's lives as much as possible, helping them as much as they need. Um, I think it kind of comes from, and I think this is kind of a Jewish concept that to a degree, if I have privilege or if I have, you know, what you might say like is like blessings in my life or like goodness, if I have a house, money, a car, whatever, of course, there's a degree to which I helped give, you know, give that to myself through work or whatever. Um, But there's also a degree to which it's kind of chance, that we live in a world that, you know, is, it's not, it's not perfect because the world itself is not God and and only, only God is perfect. So, you know, the world obviously has flaws and we kind of have to, you know, improve it as much as possible. Some people have, it's kind of like, just, you know, like we're a bunch of buckets and some have like more and some have, less and so if you have more you really do have to give back to other in fact it's 
it's technically um, a commandment in Judaism. Like, I think it was, I, it was a concept that I kind of struggled with when kind of translating from Christianity to Judaism, where the idea of charity or the word for charity in Hebrew is tzedakah, which means means justice. It's one of the words for justice because, and it's a commandment or a requirement. And you might think this is kind of like, it doesn't feel like charity or it did not feel like charity for me. Like, you know, charity felt like, oh, this feels good. Like I'm giving somebody something. But in reality, it's not that it's, it's not meant to feel good for me. It's, it could, that's a byproduct, but in reality, you have to take from what you have, um, everything excess and try to give to anyone that has less. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that concept too of the buckets. I mean, I think even when I think about it, I just think no matter who, what person, what side of it you're on, like we can provide and we should be as a country providing solid health care for women and children. And so that in turn will help the issue of abortion or the feeling that a woman has to or like that that's like the first option. Of course, it's different if there's like a choice or just like a things like, you know, there's so many mm-hmm. factors. Mm-hmm. But I think if we can help better our healthcare system, really make sure that women are getting um, adequate quick care first and foremost and then also like that the like discrepancies in women of color and the care that they receive in the healthcare industry like is like looked at in a very serious way too like there's so many things and so many factors that go into that before I even feel like the the term abortion is not healthcare like I just feel like we're not even there yet maybe that's really naive and ignorant even maybe to say that but i just think there's so many factors that go into to women's health care that need to be looked at first and foremost to actually help women you know i had said that my one of my concerns you know growing up that led me to working for for a pro-life organization was that you know there are these extreme circumstances that might drive somebody to do something they wouldn't want to do and so the yeah the the best thing to do if you want to avoid those circumstances is to you know make sure that you provide as much as you can through you know through through justice through charity to make sure that they that those situations don't really arise um and it reminds me of this like um hierarchy of charity there was um a rabbi from uh name uh well they for short call him Rumbam or like a rabbi uh Moses um Ben Maimon or Maimonides and he had written a book where among other things lists levels of charity kind of like they're all good but like the least good is when you give unwillingly and without joy and then it kind of builds up there's like eight levels but i won't go through them all but then it builds up to something like giving to somebody like directly giving to the poor directly into their hands giving before you're asked or giving anonymously but like the top like the top level of charity or of giving 
is to strengthen another person so much that they are independent and don't have to ask. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important. Like, I've kind of lost yep. my train of thought. It's, no, I was, it reminded me of that. I, I'm going to get this wrong. But like, if you help, I'm not even going to go. teach a man to fish. Yes, that's <laughs> it. I was like, it's got fish in it and I just lost it. But yeah, you teach a man to fish. Yeah, that's what that reminds me of. So I, I guess also like what, what does like, I don't know if this is even like how to ask this, but like the term of the, like the title of the podcast is prophetic justice. What does that mean to you? And like, what is, is the prophetic a piece of what you practice as well? Like, what is that? Just, yeah. I get like, it probably helps to give like a, like a glossary at least, but like in a sense, there are kind of like four words or phrases that in Judaism kind of touch on justice or social justice. Tzedakah, justice, charity. Mishpat, which is like literally like judgment, like if you like in a court of law, like, you know, even if they, you know, maybe you were watching a court case and someone was found guilty, but or innocent, but you were sure they were guilty, but Mishpat was done, justice was done in a courthouse. Um, chesed or loving kindness and that often gets used as gemelut chesedim or like doing acts of kindness and then tikkun alam which kind of means like healing the world or for the or like creating something for the better for the better good of society definitely i think through the jewish stream like particularly as a convert when you um, Jews might have a legal name that's not the same as their Jewish name. Some, for some, it's the same. But if you became Jewish, you take a Hebrew name. And um, if you don't have Jewish parents, they they will assign like they assign the name like son of Abraham and or son of Abraham and Sarah because mm-hmm. you're part of the family and those end up being your parents. And that used to seem kind of odd to me, but it has come to mean a lot more because I now see it as kind of like now I am in the tradition of this person and the Bible, like in Genesis, there is a moment where God says out loud the reason why he chose Abraham. And so like the reason why he chose Abraham and his children Um, And it's in the context of Abraham bargaining with God to spare the people of Sodom, saying, I've singled him out so that he can instruct his children and his household um, by doing my ways um, and by doing justice and right or tzedakah mishpat. And those two words together get used in a lot of other contexts in ancient Near East writing to mean not just to do what's right, but to go above and beyond that by forgiving, it's not just garden variety, social justice necessarily, or justice, but giving amnesty of debts or of punishment um, and of doing good. And from a prophetic standpoint, can I'm, I think there are at least two instances and I'm not great at like, pinpointing where but I know Jeremiah and Isaiah both have versions of this where you know in the voice of God they're saying you know you're you're in the middle of a fast or you're fasting 
And if you're doing it just to do it, Mm -hmm. I might not even hear your prayer because you don't even care about doing the good things you're supposed to be doing. And I think it's the Jeremiah one where um, God's like, what you like, basically like I take glory in um, basically kind of the Sadako Mishpat thing, like doing above and beyond and Sadak, but it's, or like justice within the earth, these things like those, those all are the things that actually, and he says, and you should, you should rejoice kind of in those, or you should glory in them. The word is like, um, eat halal and the halal part is like the kind of the kernel of it. It's the same word that you, you would say like hallelujah, um, God's name. So it's like, you should be, you should be proud when you do these things, but if you only do what's prescribed of you, you're not doing enough. Yep. Oh, I like that. That's really good. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. I did not, I knew pieces of, of that, but obviously not like the the um, terminology around it. As we kind of wrap up, well, I actually have one other question in regards to healthcare, and then I'm going to go go back to the question I was just going to ask. But is there something within the Medicaid system that you are just like, this needs to change? Like, I think we all have things that we're like, in in every type of work that we're in, that we're just like, this system is, there. it needs to work differently in some way. And what does that look like or even healthcare I guess it could be like a wider thing as you've learned so much more about policy and written like helped write policy like what needs to shift and not just for Texas I guess but since that's where you are working maybe that's what you can speak to but it doesn't have to be sure I mean like to like um in my work my my job is to do the work that the legislature has given us and like, you know, basically like whatever laws are passed and are signed by the governor, we um, we carry that out uh, to the best of our ability. And then, but I think with my limited experience from in healthcare, it's something that could probably would help, you know, nationwide uh, would be, I guess, more digitized things, you know, electronic files and file sharing for a short time I did uh work in systems and data uh which was fascinating stuff from a nationwide perspective you know I did not I took it for granted that we all have access to computers but we might not all actually use them you know because there is a tremendous amount of data out there you know there are some some versions of it that can be you know that that translate from one place to another but it requires a lot of work to standardize those things and then for each state to agree to share them if they need to so that if somebody moved from one state to another i just don't i actually don't have the expertise but like i don't i don't feel like that would move with them and I, and I feel like in a, in a time where we learned how to work from home, we had this, we've had this technology for 10, 15 years, 
and we've only started using work from home technology because of the pandemic, I hope it doesn't take some catastrophe to make us realize that, yeah. you know, doctors and files should be talking to one another. Yes. Oh, that's so true. I, I, and honestly, I do feel like you are so good at like, um, me like uh streamlining things like your brain works and like how can we do this efficiently quickly and like <clears throat> actually have it be helpful like those three things are something you I've always seen you be really excellent in and so if anyone can help the system I am like totally I think you are one of those people so I think it's pretty amazing that you're in this and I know I know we always talk about like our frustrations but I think there's a purpose a larger purpose to what you're doing in this field and I think it's quite amazing so yeah with kind of wrapping up is there anything that you have been like meditating on or or in prayer um that has come up for you around I guess you maybe this season or the work that you do like that type of thing uh, kind of like the idea that we had discussed about um help someone so that they don't have to ask for help I think that concept has been in my head for a while about when we pray, I think it is kind of offensive to God to ask God to make changes that are within our power to make, because I don't think that's despair of God. I think that's despair of ourselves because you can't, you can't ask for something that you could do yourself um, and that's, you know, like, I cannot pray that the poor be taken care of without doing anything to help them, because that is, you know, obviously within my power. So to ask for something to be done that I could do myself is kind of silly, but you can ask for God to maybe enlighten you, to give you strength, but then if you're not sleeping and eating your vegetables, you know, yes, there's only on. so much you. you can do. <laughs> As we send memes back and forth all day about that. Pizza um, and sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. And honestly, I do feel like God is um, honing in on that for people who are listening. Is that like you like you need to take the steps like people are being raised up, but they're the ones who are like that he's like raising up or sending into places to, to make change are the ones who are actually taking the steps and really working at like the baseline level of like doing what they needed to do to get there. Like God doesn't just like pop you out of bed and you're like a national or worldwide pastor or prophet. Like mm -hmm. you got to actually like take the steps to get there. And same thing with like social justice causes as well. Yeah. You have to be doing something. So I think that's awesome. Um, you are like one of the wisest human beings, honestly, that I know. So thank you for for that. <laughs> where do you? Where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Well, I am on I am on Twitter. There we <laughs> or, go. I'm sorry, it's called X. X now. I forget about this every time. Yes. Um. So <laughs> that might be the easiest way. I think everything is like out there. I don't think it's like a lockdown account. So cool. Cool. And what's your Twitter, your Twitter, your X handle? X handle. It is um Luis Zaff, L-U-I-S-Z as in zebra, A double F as in Frank. But I think my whole name will like, if you search for it, 
there are only a handful of people with my last name in this country. So yeah, it is not a common one. Um, all right. Well, would you be open to us ending in prayer? Yeah. Ending in prayer or. Sure. Do you want me to pray or do you want to pray? Um, I, I guess I can do it. Yeah. I would love that. Okay. Maker of the universe. Remind us that it is not the place of a person in this life that honors themselves, but rather the person that has to give honor to their place in this world. And to remember that every day we must learn more and more so that we can take a look at the world in which we live, consider the ways in which it is not whole, find ways to make it whole, provide for what's missing in the world, and also to pray on its behalf as much as possible. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being such an amazing friend. And I um, am just really um, excited for everyone to to get to hear this episode. So thank you everyone for joining and um, don't uh, be afraid to look us up on Instagram at prophetic justice at prophetic justice, or you can reach out to uh, via Gmail at prophetic justice at gmail.com. Thank you everyone. Thanks for listening to the prophetic justice podcast. Before you go show some love by leaving a review, subscribing to the show and sharing this episode with a friend. You can connect with me on IG at Prophetic Justice Podcast or by email at propheticjusticepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out the show notes.